Hey everyone, this is Eric Wright, the host of the Disco Posse podcast. This is it! We hit a huge milestone. I'm super proud. I can't even explain how fun it's been to be along for the ride. And I've got a little fun musical number for folks that are old enough like me and maybe remember this song. Because back in the day, I remembered starting my life with a little bit of funk every morning, watching Sesame Street. And it was all about the counting songs. Today we're going to count... Because it is a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 100! That's right. This is episode 100. I'm extremely excited to be able to bring you a conversation I had with a good friend, someone who I adore, and who has been an incredible mentor and, and peer for me. Uh, with that, let's get started with Rob Hirschfeld. Hello, this is Rob Hirschfeld, and you are listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. get right into it uh i i had a lot of discussions in my life i've had a lot of people who i've talked to in my life i've had a lot of people who i have felt like i had no reason why i was lucky enough to be in the room with them and today i'm here with my friend rob and he's one of those people it was uh it was in uh, it was in Austin, Texas. I invited you to speak on a podcast, which I had no idea whether I was even legitimately doing something that was going to be of value to me or anybody else. And I think you probably only jumped in because you're like, here's this here's this guy I bear I don't even know, but he looks like he's got kind of a cool rig. I think I was thinking you're like, this is a neat neat setup. And so we actually came up, we sat down and, and it was an in-person, which was actually super cool. Um, But uh, before I go any further, I need you to do the legit intro because you are, (laughs) do so many things. Uh, Let's talk about how people can get a hold of you. If they haven't already heard a bunch of your shows that we've done together, then they're missing out. So go back in the, go back in the backlog and find those. The Uh, latest, the latest shiny, the hardest podcast to find on the internet. Um. (laughs) So we got to pair up. We got to pair up. We'll, uh, we'll put these, uh, we'll put ourselves and we'll co-brand. We'll do some stuff. It's uh, so Rob, how do people get a hold of you and find out what you're doing? I am Zeical online, so pretty much everywhere. I am I am Z E H I C L E. It goes back to my electric car days. Uh, so it's like a zero emissions vehicle, a Zeical, um, which is actually some of how I got into blogging and things like that when I was doing my electric car conversion uh, pieces. Um, totally a side hobby now. I'm I'm way too busy trying to trying to make data centers awesome. Um, 
with through RackN. And so my, my day job and my night job is uh, RackN with Digital Rebar, where we are really rethinking how infrastructure is built, automated, and, and managed, um, starting from bare metal and looking at this infrastructure as code thing and edge and, you know, questioning how, you know, if clouds are sustainable the way they're, they're being set up and if they're, they're as good an idea as everybody seems to have bought into uh, believing they are. <laughs> and, you know, however many times we, we have these conversations with people, the community, customers, yet we still keep having to go back and tell the same story. And it's, uh, that's the amazing thing is as, yeah. as forward moving as, as anything in the industry is, uh, you're, you're only as big as your fan base. And it's, it's quite amazing that out of however many billions of, of workloads that are outrun in the world, uh, a surprising amount are being run in interesting hand-grown bespoke methods. <laughs> and it's that's it's it, terrifying. Totally, totally right. Well, we have, we have a tendency to you know get into the Kool Aid version, right? The other part of my history that where you and I met was around the OpenStack community, and you know me, you know in my you know last ten years I spent being very invested and enthusiastic about open source and. And it's amazing because, you know, as you get into what these communities are and you watch how, how things are getting done, it, you know, you, you really do need to step back and figure out what's going on. Um, we, we do as a, as a technology community, and all communities do this, have a tendency to, to buy into the religion so hard that sometimes we forget about what, what people are doing. I feel the same way about, you know, capitalism right now and efficiency mindsets where we're so tied up into, you know, get, you know, maximizing efficiency that we, we overlook human costs. Um, we overlook sustainable costs and that those are, you know, those have to be parts of the equation. It's funny that you've, uh, the last, the last couple of folks I've talked to on the, on the podcast have been very interesting. I've, I've got this very diverse sort of set of folks that I talk to now, which is really cool for me. I'm excited because it's been a, a kind of a shift in the way I've talked to, you know, somebody who literally started a company called Sheets and Giggles. First of all, it's an awesome name. I love that. <laughs> he said, that's how he started it. So for folks that are listening to this, go back a couple episodes and, and check out Colin McIntosh. He's the founder of that. And, and his sort of foundation of what he did and, and how he built everything was around sustainability. And that mm -hmm. being a core value of, of what they do, why they made the choice and the physical nature of, of their sheets. Uh, Talked to a few other folks. And, and it's neat that I, I think there's a good new influx of people that are finding the right balance, you know, somewhere between Paul Graham and David Hannemeyer Hansen. I would say as far as like the startup <laughs> found for folks that are watching the, the Twitter handles and watch these sort of wars of like, whether you're Y Combinator, which is like hmm. looking for more hockey sticks than the Boston Bruins, uh, you know, pickup league. And then on the other side of the world, you've got folks like Jason Freed uh, and, and DHH, David Hannemeyer Hansen, who run Basecamp and 30, used to be 37 Signals, were very yeah. much in the idea that bootstrap, you, of course, Rob, you're, you bootstrapped uh, at Rackin, and, and we've talked about that. We actually, it's funny, we've, there, it's the unpublished show that I was, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually using to put towards uh, some, some book content and it was really meant to be this kind of long form approach of 
what are we doing and why is it challenging? And, and it's neat to go through folks that are doing a more sustainable approach. And uh, I really dig it because, you know, I'm doing the same thing myself. Like I don't have the, I've got a low risk tolerance, but I've got a surprisingly high tolerance for experimentation. So it's a really interesting yeah. merger of two things where I've got to experiment a lot, but not go so far outside the lines that it puts high risk back into the core. It's, you know, anytime you're building something with other people or you're building something that's going to take years to years to come to fruition, um, you, you know, you have to think about how that happens. I mean, we have brought in money. Uh, we've been revenue funded, you know, where I'm looking at going back into the venture markets and, and it, it does, you, you know, every, every successful company has some story um, about how that works. And, and a lot of them are not always pretty. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. we, we have, we have a tendency to want to only hear the, it was great. And I, you know, we succeeded with this and um, it's, it's not always great like that. And sadly, you know, even, you know, Raken sharing our, our story and our history, it's not always comfortable for us because, you know, if you're out, you know, you want it, you always want to be the shining example and you want all of your customers to look at you as, you know, the solid, you know, thing that's, that it's going to persist through the generations. Um, and that's, you know, building product is really hard and you have to figure out how to do it and you have to get feedback from the market. And sometimes the feedback is thumbs up. And sometimes the feedback is, I don't get it yet. You, you haven't, you haven't explained your value proposition. Um, and then from, from our perspective in market, it's super hard because you've got the other side of it, which is companies saying, you know, we don't trust that you're going to be around next year. Um, and the way we've set up VCs and exits and things like that, it's, you know, it can be a, that's a realistic concern for people. And I don't know how we build great companies when the sign of success is that you're likely to not be a long, an ongoing thing. <laughs> the VC model here is, is right. It's, it's very wacky, right? We, we, we dump a ton of money on a company who has, you know, not gone through all of the time it takes to build great product and they go market because that's what they have to do with the money that they have a great product. And then that results in a whole bunch of, of vaporware frustration around, you know, the, the mythos of, of startups not being real. And then on the other side is that if they are successful and they're doing really good stuff, they get sucked into a major company. And then what can you count on whether they're going to be sustained or not? I mean, even to the level of Red Hat. Right. You know, so yeah, how it's, hard many, to build, and, it's hard to build long-term value. And, and it's so funny that we have this, like, also a strange attachment to the, the hero story and the failure story and nothing mm. in between. And that's why it's just weird. Like I want sustainability in, in just belief and trust systems. And, and it's hard when you have people who are like sort of focused on, ooh, you know, and everything like just, it's in the news. It's in everything we see. Everything is scathing, you know, <laughs> blistering. It's game changing. And I like, I use some of these in jest yeah. sometimes myself because I'm like, look, I know people will click on it if I say game changing. But the five thing, five top things that are going to guarantee your success in the right. startup entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so when we look at, you know, how many times have I heard that Red Hat is circling the drain and that IBM is a, is a, a dinosaur and <laughs> VMware is dead. Yeah. yeah like, 
But uh, in the end, IBM spends $33 billion on Red Hat, and yet somehow they're both still circling the drain in a dinosaur. And as they pivot and you look at, they're making more in revenues a quarter than VMware's worth, period. Like, I'd love to be circling the drain like that. And then VMware is transforming what they're doing to the mark to themselves and to their market. Uh, right. And there's, uh, you know, we, we can, you had such a, your show with Mark uh, Teal was amazing talking about uh, AWS. AWS owns, owns the, the universe now, you know, what, what next? Uh, so uh, that one, I'll get it. In the, I got, I'll get to get the show notes and write it down. Unless you can, if you remember, which that was one. our, that was our 2020. What's what, what's going to happen. Yeah. We, you and I both, and you, you did a show with, with latest shiny also same premise. It's like, all right, AWS is winning. Yeah. What does that mean? And for Mark, that means we have an, we have a monopoly in market for you. It was, it, you know, it was, it was more about the tech, which is what we wanted. Um, but it's it's a very interesting market about what's what's going on and how this is going. Uh, one of the examples that comes to mind for me with Google is there was that press report. Google considers closing down their cloud. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and I'm and, and I'm watching everybody like spin up on this. I'm like, all right, uh, you know, I'm a CEO. Anytime I look at options, I always put all in and stop on the table. Right. And so I'm like, all right, if everybody you know, when you're looking at what to do, you always consider stopping because you have to understand what the cost is to continue. It's, it's right. It's a challenge. I mean, that's what, when rack N, you know, when we wake up in the morning, we, you know, we're having to decide how we're building value, how we're, we're sustaining it. And if, if we're going to create long-term value for the customers, I don't want to sell product to customers that I don't think I'm going to sustain for five years. Right. That's unethical to me. Um, and it's not how rack N operates, but, you know, when you look at, at how, if a company is going to stay in business, to me, it comes back to grit and vision, right? And that's, that's what you want to listen for. When, you know, when I sit down with my co-founders and say, you know, are we building the right thing? Are we doing something? Is this what, you know, are we changing, are we changing data center operations for the better, right? And then yeah. you look at what we've gone through for the last 10 years to make that happen you realize that you know we have a, a vision for persistence in this case. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, 2024 when we finally make it to the overnight success level. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. In 20, 14 years later, we'll we'll finally gotten to the point where it's obvious and everybody's doing it. Um, it's Here's another one. To, so you're as a founder. Yeah as uh, somebody who's close to the industry in, in a lot of ways in that side as, as a founder and knowing other founders and, and keep an eye on, on the news and, and people. Uh, how many people genuinely, of the let's say, weird percentage to ask, but what percentage do you think of founders get in it because they think I'm gonna build this thing so I can sell it? Like when you're building an idea, are you most, people I find generally are aiming for some level of sustainability, but there's obviously some people who are like, Hey, I know I can do this and I'll probably be able to exit out and sell it off. There, there are definitely people who like the building the company thing. Um, and who like the intricacies of building it or figuring out the profit motive or things like that, that aren't, aren't quite as product focused as and vision focused as others are. And I, I do think that comes out of Silicon Valley. There's, you know, there's a, there's a group of people who are 
looking for the hockey stick and they, yeah. they want to be in the hockey stick and they'll bail if they don't see it. Um, and so it's, I, that, that to me is a, a bit messy and the same thing with marketing and message, right? You can, you can jump in with a message that is super, super resonant for people, whether it's true or not. Um, I'll, I'll give you one of my frustrations going back to the OpenStack days um, where the foundation, um, and I'll be specific, would stand up on, Jonathan would stand up on stage and say, OpenStack, one platform for containers and VMs and metal. And I was on the board at the time. Yeah. And, and I would raise this as a concern. I'm like, we do not have that. <laughs> right and and they would say no 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 we do sort of you know squint and look at it i'm like we need to be the thing that makes vms awesome that's right we're and and but at the same time to give him you know i knew what he was doing and why because he knew the market said be this right and and to you know he was doing the right thing for OpenStack Foundation and Jonathan I'm sorry for calling you out it's not just you it's the what what you needed to do to run the foundation um, but at the same time it's messaging something to market that's that's separate than what is going on behind the scenes and it's super hard right we have the temptation as RackN to message ahead of our skis or message outside of our vision to capture oh I want to be the hybrid blah 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 multi cloud this 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 right it's yeah. you know uh, but there's we, and, and know, there's a certain a amount of that that that's the you have to stay on the wave of of the the sort of headline cycle sometimes and and it's just around being included in the share of voice on on certain topics because otherwise people will be like oh well I you know I like you this but I see these yeah other no I'm I'm giving you I'm giving you the big sigh on the share of voice I totally agree <laughs> and you know you watch these waves on Twitter and people dogpile into one thing or another um, and it's it's an incredible it's an incredible thing to you know to resist that that type of flag waving um, yeah. and and I don't I don't you know I, I watch what we do very carefully I, I try to watch what we say very carefully from that perspective I, you know I definitely want the lift don't get me wrong I want to be part of the exciting topics and the big big deal things and, and stuff like that but we like to test it to see what's real yeah um and not what's not what's shiny um and that's actually the the funny i, I say shiny and you <laughs> thought just like i did latest shiny the, yeah. the podcast name is a joke everybody <laughs> yeah it's, it is it is literally saying we want to dig into these latest these shiny topics and rip them open and look at what's under the covers to see what's real or not yeah we're we're you know that's the the whole joke of the latest shiny podcast is not that it's chasing the latest shiny it's the opposite of that yeah hopefully the irony right. is not lost in people getting <sighs> now that's the same with the rank cast right the purpose of the rank cast i've had yeah. people be insulted about you 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 said my baby was ugly i'm like no we were ranting about why you did it this is the same conversation right you and i are right now to me having a rant cast about you know people doing the pop the poppy marketing yeah um and at the same time turning around saying yes we know you're doing it we know you're going to keep doing it because you're not given an alternative see the ultimate data center automation trick that's driving every operator crazy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like some kind of outbrain click bait article you know like <laughs> but we so the interesting thing too, and I admittedly, I pull myself into it sometimes in, in, in one, my 
my source of 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 t the one thing I, I get caught in all the time and i feel bad that i do and then i still tweet about it anyways every time google announces something i say you know me today hey this is really slick me in three years from now i'm really gonna miss this because they killed it like yeah. and and i shouldn't i, I shouldn't do that because i, I want to believe in what it is i there i know great people at google just like we talked about, I know they don't get in it to kill the 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 things that they build. I know there's justified reasons why they get out of building products and whatever. Yeah. They use their own data to drive, you know, what will be make it sustainable and useful. But it's tough when you go through this sort of Google, you know, graveyard of <laughs> of products. You know, like, so then it makes people. So when that article came out about Google getting out of the business that sadly there was enough other like circumstantial things that made people believe yeah. it. And that was, that's what, that's what was tough. Right. But, but this happens, this happens over and over and over again. Right. I mean, I'm thinking about early Docker communities where we had a whole bunch of Docker things before OpenStack came and swept the market. We had four or five legitimate um, virtualization platforms coming, coming up. Yeah. Um, and so but that's, and that's to me the really interesting thing is that, because of the megaphones that, that especially the big companies have, is that you can take something, use the megaphone to promote the wrong thing or something that doesn't have the staying power, isn't thought through, and, and crush the, you know, the thing that has the, grit, the gritty founder looking for value, building things up one at a time, um, that's creating a, a much more sustainable, a sustainable platform. Um, Right. In I mean, fact, I struggle, I struggle with right? this all the time. It's, it's literally no different than, than what, you know, people kind of busted on, you know, quite, quite openly on like Jim Cramer, who's for the famous for mad money and, you know, is, was a hardcore, like the, the crazy investor hits the big button, like, you know, like does all the funny <laughs> crazy stuff. But he openly shared that. He says like, I'm, I'm literally creating the future of the market. Cause I talk about a, I talk about a stock and I can pump it. Like I can actually change the effect on this this particular equity and right. and by doing so then have enough people drive in and, and of course him getting in behind it he does disclosures and he does these things but he was very clear at one point and people kind of said like "Ooh, is that an sec violation just the fact that you said that but no like we do these violations every day in the world you know dell or hpe or google or anybody right they they put out a press release about something or they give you some survey data and it's enough to influence people to believe that that is that is the truth and it's not that it's not the truth but it's it's narrowing the focus to a thing that they can sell in the way that, <laughs> that bothers me yeah. to what i my favorite thing about what you when you and i talk and when i talk with a lot of people that work at these companies is that we can talk very strongly with belief and conviction about stuff that we don't sell and right. have hard opinions about the stuff we do. And that, and, and it's, that's important. It's tough to be able to do that versus people that are like, don't care a lick about what's going on on earth until they got a saleable commodity they can inject into that earth. And suddenly this is the most important thing on earth. And that's what really bugs me when you see that. And I look, I know people got to sell. I know like, it's not that, right? It's just that I've just seen people get pulled into that shift where all of a sudden they're like, hey, yeah, containers is the future. And like, yeah, well, 
it's a funny thing. It's we've been talking about what that means. Not that it's the future that it's going to kill everything else, but it's the future that it's going to become a a fairly dominant hunk of of the the application ecosystems for the while. But that doesn't mean you suddenly should say, "Yay, it is," because you now license a product that works for containers. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Well, it's, it's and we we do see this. There's people who you know they change change jobs and they become right and they change they, they change ev evangelism um, models. You know, with that and and their job is to do that, and I, I get it. Um, you know, I, I try to be a little bit more true to that. True. And one of the ways to do that is to be very pragmatic about you know what you're saying. Look, you know, look at both sides of the coin. Right. Um, I, I do have a bit of a. a, a thought process though around open source and what you're describing um, because we've we have an industry and, and I think the shine's wearing off a little bit have gotten incredibly gaga about open source to the point where companies can take you know their product or a component that they want to hype drop it as an open source thing let it let it generate a whole bunch of free marketing because everybody feels like they can market for an open source thing unlimitedly without any any um right without permission without conflict without um you know any any um governance right i mean with companies when companies market they they actually have some accountability into the accuracy and truthfulness and the statements open source projects in a lot of cases i i see them being ballooned up in all sorts of ways um and then we have whole conferences where the the policy is you can present open source projects, whether they're single vendor or not, as long as they're open source, um, but you can't talk about vendored anything. Um, and all right, let's just put it on the table. That is not a truism. There, there is not, right, this is not nonprofits where I'm raising money for the March of Dimes or Salvation Army or right, <laughs> Red yeah. Cross, where this is, this is somebody, you know, in, in our world is infrastructure software that's being maintained by somebody um and so you know the idea that ansible is some you know or or terraform you know is some you know uh you know neutral playground of of open source love there's a ton of open source love around them but both of those are vendored products right yeah it was funny i just actually had a a good uh a good conversation on a podcast it's it's coming out after this one will drop um and and it was one of the things that came around was like cloud and and open and white box options for cloud and why they do or don't work and and i said it's basically this dichotomy of you had the split i said why open stack sort of tipped over and i called it the the open or die and that's kind of what you're just talking about right it's, it's either it's not open it's it, it just doesn't need to be there and then the the other side which was this sort of the enterprise push is that you can't trust anything that's not in our ecosystem because there is no sustainability or future potential. And I call yeah. that, I called it logo or loco. You're either, you're using something you trust or you're crazy, right? So there, no, and it's the old classic, right? Nobody gets fired for buying an IBM. I know a lot of people that got fired for buying an IBM and <laughs> not because it wasn't sustainable, because it was a poor business choice. And it wasn't yeah. that, it was not that IBM was wrong, is that we walked into the project wrong. So the logo didn't save them. And on the other side, a lack of a logo is not gonna save you either. 
And I looked at like, oh, Intel yeah. Snap is one of my favorite examples that I sort of like went back to revisit. So Intel Snap was a, an open sort of mm. telemetry framework. Uh, yeah. Nick Weaver did was leading it out with Intel. It was part of what was going to roll in with. Um, uh, so Alex Polvey was doing stuff with the guys at Mirantis, and it was all going to also wrap around Snap, and and it was Kubernetes and Intel and all. It was phenomenal. And but ultimately the goal was to drive telemetry that could then go down to the CPU layer, which is where, hey, imagine that Intel is doing some neat stuff. And yeah. no matter how much push they had on it, and no matter how many contributors they had, and how many people they had on the team and the marketing team and the engineering team, well, I go take a look at the project. Last commit four years ago. That's it. It's, it's gone. Right. And so even with all the thrust, so that was this weird thing. Uh. Like they had both logo and marketing and also so i shouldn't say both so they had all <laughs> they had marketing logo budget buy-in and an open community still tipped over now well, that doesn't mean it's wrong it doesn't mean it's an example of everything going to fail but it's funny that even this you know like they tried yeah. to find the interesting thing now i it was a specific example and i i Again, love all the, the folks that were doing it. I love what the approach was. And I don't know. And maybe they're just tapping into a specific thing that was so niche that it just, they, they literally couldn't create the market for it. Well, this is, I see, I see this with some, some of these projects. And I'm, I'm in Elf Edge and I, I try to, to watch how that's going for these things, right? If it's solving a problem that, that has customer traction and a vendor, then there's going to be a monetary, right? There's an avenue if you, you pull a whole bunch of people together and Intel's done this a bit to, to highlight something in their chip, but then they don't connect it to everything else, then it's a problem. Especially if they aren't then participating in a, in a broader ecosystem. And that's to me the hardest, the hardest thing of all is to take something that you're doing and then connect it into another ecosystem, right? And create, create uplift and value. Um, because it takes, you have to not do your thing to be part of a community. Right. from that perspective um, or contribute back into the community. And so it's, it's a really, really difficult thing, right? We made a big decision with RackN to flip our license from an open core license uh, to an open ecosystem license because we found that people were never contributing to the core. That wasn't where they wanted to, to help us, right? And all they were doing is taking advantage of, of free software at that point. And that right. was super frustrating for us. But they, they wanted to be able to actually look at the integrations that we did and be able to be part of the integrations. Um, and so we'll get people who are contributing to how we do the work of running a data center, not on the, how the platform you know, coordinates that activity. Um, but that was a super hard thing for us to decide and it's still a challenge, right? But it's, you know, I'm illustrating that with what, what we did at RackN, very, super, very high level, because it makes you think through, if we're gonna build something, a new open source project, you have to figure out how it, how it functions, what the utility is, how it integrates, how you pull more people in. Um, makes me think about EdgeLab, if you wanna talk about EdgeLab. Yeah, yeah, so that's, that, this is gonna be a fun project that we're working, you know, you've already got your, your folks that are tackling this. I'm gonna mm -hmm. dive in, uh, this is really, really cool. Uh, EdgeLab is, you know, Hey, look at that. We can latch on to some good buzzwords. This is IoT Edge Lab. Uh, <laughs> Raspberry Pi, Edge, Infrastructure, Automation with Kubernetes. 
it's all the things yeah but uh what it is it's a very low cost physical example of that you can stand up and, and it's just neat uh, because you can literally buy the hardware. And in fact, uh, you and I, through the course of this year, are going to work together on making sure we can do something to get that hardware in the hands of people that maybe can't get a hold of it. Uh, you know, this is uh, something that you and I both believe strongly in when we talk about sustainability. Sustainability also means creating opportunities for people that don't know they've got them. Uh, yes. So we're going to do that. So uh, keep people can keep listening here and, and keep watching yours and, and my blog, and we'll talk about what we're going to do around that. Um, but lay it on us. What, so talk about Edge Lab and, and then we'll get, go into why this is very cool. So Edge Lab is an open reference architecture. Fundamentally, that means that there's, it's basically we've, we've structured a set of documentation and bills of materials that allow you to follow a simple set of instructions and get a working repeatable infrastructure. Right, and I'm, I'm being very generic about what that infrastructure is and what it does, because the, what, what we see in market, and this is a great example, your SNAP example is a really good example. Nobody in edge right now has a way to say, I have a consistent environment that I can do development work against and then take that work and translate it into a cloud environment or into a production environment or into a school environment. Right. What we end up doing is everybody's building their own custom edge stuff. And so there's there's no accelerative effect like you see with, you know, oh, I'm working Amazon cloud. OK, everything I built can then be taken from that and then used for by everybody else. Right. That's one of the secrets of like Ansible and Terraform. They, they work in a, a consistent environment. The idea with Edge Lab is that we have and digital rebar is a part of this because it creates an infrastructure as code hardware abstraction where you can bring in an application. We started with K3S, so the lightweight Kubernetes, um, and zero, you know, one click install Kubernetes incredibly reliably in, in any of the infrastructures that we're supporting. So you have that as a guaranteed baseline. And then we started on the other side with Raspberry Pis um, because we wanted that low cost sub. You can, you can get started in this for 300 bucks. If you want to add some bells and whistles, it gets up to four or five, like a nice case or uh, <laughs> yeah. power over power over ethernet is the bomb on this, right? You can literally uh, take the pies, plug them, plug them into a switch and have no other wires. It's, it's totally awesome. Um, but the idea with this is that between those two starting points, you can, you know, put a very simple lab for low cost on somebody's on a student's desk and let them have a actual data center, a working data center, multi-node distributed applications right there on their desk for 500 bucks. And then, and then what's really important to me is then you can come back and say, all right, well, what if we want to plug in nooks or what if we want to take the AMD or arm, um, arm hardware or AMD, you know, our um, NVIDIA, um, experimental boards. Yeah. And I want to put that in there because that's actually, um, you know, a, a better platform for me, or I want to go into production. So I'm going to buy the Dell or Lenovo edge focused hardware. What we don't want to have happen is this to me is the Chick-fil-A, the, the, the notorious Chick-fil-A nook Kubernetes cluster, <laughs> yeah. which had a dollar every time somebody referenced that without any idea of what actually, how it was built. But Right, the idea here is that if you build on Nooks, you're gonna end up deploying on Nooks, whether that's the right hardware for you or not. We wanna 
go back to an abstraction to say, all right, I want to be able to develop on pies or nooks or cloud or right. You know, yay, go, go spin up servers in Linode and, and go to town on that. Yeah. Then come back and say, all right, that works. Now I can go buy production servers from HP or Linode or Dell or, you know, or go to the nooks or pies. Um, but we need a community, right? This, this is, all right, so full circle, that's what Edge Lab is. Edge Lab is this open reference architecture where we're trying to bring people together with working products and projects and integrate them together in a consistent, repeatable way. So that you can count on the fact that if I want to deploy Kubernetes, I can do it consistently in a way that, that other people can mirror. If I add something to that Kubernetes cluster, I can do it in a consistent, repeatable way. That then creates the opportunity that to me sometimes gets missed with, you know, what you were describing for performance metrics. Because now we're saying, all right, I can do that work, repeat it and get other people involved. I don't have to do all the work. I just do my piece and then I, I can become part of a bigger community and continue sharing it around. Um, whew, I feel like I got on a huge soapbox. Um, <laughs> but, but, I want, but one thing to punctuate, this is what Rackend wanted to do. It's what inspires us going back 10 years to the crowbar days, right? When we were at Dell. Yeah. What, what we were really frustrated by is that work that somebody was doing to install OpenStack, Hadoop, doesn't matter what. You know, we were looking at Chef and Ansible Galaxy and stuff like that. And none of it actually created repeatable patterns that operations people could continue to use. And that felt to us very wrong, right? The fact that there were 50 OpenStack installers, Kubernetes is no better, right? There's, there's, a, there's nobody who's like, oh yeah, this is a consistent way to install Kubernetes because the environment they're installing into isn't managed in a consistent way. Right. That keeps us from progressing as a community. That keeps Kubernetes from becoming a product ecosystem where I could write software that only ran on Kubernetes and then have a market for that outside of, you know, one cloud. Um, and it's in effect, this is, if we can do these kind of things, you know, that are both fun and, and technically interesting. Uh, and at the same time as those two things also create, uh, it opens the, the thought processes up to like, ah, well, if I could do this and I could expand into how I do the rest of my infrastructure, it actually removes, this is lock-in removal in the best possible way. Cause lock-in is not about, you know, the name on the, the, the box or whatever you want. Like it's about process attachment so that you're now look behind the scenes, there's identity access management. There's other things that you will get wrapped into and that's, it's a different beast, but at the very, at the very least, this is how AWS will be successful is because they're going to see stuff that sucks and they're going to do managed service versions of it. You know, this is why people were sort of spun up when they did the managed Mongo and they're like, what? This is going to destroy the community. Well, they're like, well, Mongo said, well, I got a choice. You know, if you can't beat them, contribute to them, right? Like they, so they helped to guide the, what, what to do and, and how to do it. Uh, and we saw it with Elastic, which went the other way, which was basically, uh, you know, hiring people uh, on Upwork to give the middle finger online. Like it felt like they were just like, like let's do this. So we can get the largest community of hate wrapped around this. Can I, 
you know, will, uh, you know, will slacktivism uh, succeed? And it did not. And in the yeah. end, that the big rush of, of ire quelled and then Amazon successfully just rolled into this service. Now, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm not saying, what all I'm saying is that if you can do this kind of thing, it opens your mind to the idea that we can do things ourselves that are not crappy, bespoke, artisanal, handcrafted things, right? And, and this to me is where I get excited about actually competing with Amazon. Because Amazon's building their infrastructure for them. They're not, they're, right, they're very customer focused and, and hats off to them. It's an amazing company from that perspective. But at the end of the day, they're building their cloud right. to operate their way to make money for Amazon. Not, you know, it might save me money using them, um, but it's ultimately making that, that first priority is them making money. And so to me, if we want to unlock innovation, the way you do that is you're like, all right, I need 10,000 edge labs, right? And, you know, 30% of them might be pies, but the rest of them could be other, other hardware things. Yeah. And then you start getting people saying, oh, wait a second. And this is where, this to me is what open source should be about. It's about the ecosystem being open, not about free product, which is where we sort of got distracted by this. Um, but it should be simply saying, you know what? I love the NVIDIA hardware. If I had a better way to automate it and take advantage of the people doing Kubernetes work and um, you know, open fast stuff on top of that, then I could just focus on doing machine learning things and then I could share that back into the community. And we see this happen in, in open communities. Um, and I say open communities, not open source communities. There's a distinction yeah. where you can come back and say, all right, I'm, I'm going to go take advantage of these libraries and these capabilities on this server system and then make it easy for other people to replicate that success. And then the whole market will go faster. Um, and, you know, then at that point, you know, NVIDIA's product, if it's amazing or solves a problem, then they're going to sell a lot more of that product and they should. Um, and then they're incented to create libraries and be part of a, you know, be part of a, you know, a reference architecture where you can get that acceleration. Today, and this to me is the, the thing about Amazon. Amazon has made it where there's, they've, they've destroyed, um, and that sounds really, really strong because I don't think they set out to destroy it. Um, but they've, they've had the effect of really, um, you know, removing a lot of the ecosystems that existed around, you know, products prior to cloud um, in favor of, you know, some very mammoth ecosystems. We saw the same thing, by the way, with Microsoft Windows in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It, to liken it to the real world example, they've effectively, by bringing in the way of doing things that they have, they've created the cane toad of infrastructure, which solved a very specific problem that we had at large and unfortunately in doing so, it has gotten out of control and now people are running over cane toads. <laughs> you know, like, so that was a big sort of this, and we do this all the time in, in, in nature and, and only after, a, only when it's too late do we realize that the problem has occurred. And it's, this is the challenge of it. And like you said, they didn't, every good intention was had 
at the beginning, at the onset of building this. Obviously, there's some sense that, hey, look, if this grows really big, it could really kind of take over the market. But I don't think they're sitting there like, you know, like I'm going to destroy the world. It was like, no, no, we're going to create this thing because it's a huge market opportunity for us. And let's make it so that our customers have access to it. And then in doing so, so many customers came to it that they evacuated yeah. the other. The, indus the industry has nobody to blame but themselves. Um, right, yeah. this is, right. I mean, Amazon is, is very focused on customer experience. Um, and they have a good customer experience. It's, it's getting a bit um, of a fragmented platform from that perspective. And so I, I, I think that there's, there is actually a lot of opportunity to look at more integrated solutions. Um, and so I think there are, there are potential threats, but there aren't going to be threats as long as it's, oh, buy Dell servers and Juniper switches and this, that, and this, that. And, and I'm not saying don't do that. I actually think we need the commodity, the opportunity to buy commodity infrastructure, but they can't operate as, as, oh, the Dell doesn't interact with the Juniper, which doesn't interact with this, right? Amazon is like, here's my infrastructure. I have one control plane, has API driven, have a great time. And that customer experience while fragmented is amazing compared to the bundle of toys approach that the industry came from. Yeah. Um, and, and then I'm terrified on the other side of the, you know, VX rails and the, you know, huge, you know, like we're going to sell you 10 you know, the value at 10 X, 10 X normal, normal costs because we've done the integrations together um, and put it all into a locked box. Um, and then outpost is even more extreme on that side. Um, I, we need to be thinking about this stuff, right? This is, this is, we have to be building infrastructure in a way that says it's different and it connects together. And if one of my protocols change, the whole thing doesn't come crashing around my ears because I didn't build the resilience I should have built. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what RackN, we spend a lot of time with, with RackN thinking through, all right, how do I run Intel, ARM, soft, you know, hardware side by side, and Linux and Windows side by side, and ESX, you know, across, you know, it's four versions that aren't compatible. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and it's... And this is the truth of most environments today. And, and this is the other interesting thing too. take off the marketing. You're, you're suddenly in this problem of like, you know, dang it. You know, I've got a, I've got a, I've got to market this idea of the future, but I got to build for today towards that future. And guess what? The future yeah. will look a lot like today, which is disaggregated, fragmented, like, no, that's not going to, not going to get better in 10 years. You're not suddenly going to have one. <laughs> Just going to get worse. <laughs> well, this is, this is the whole point that I, I build from a future proofing. And this is, this is a fascinating architectural point to me. Um, and I feel like it's ignored, and especially in a lot of the, the shiny new projects and some of the open source stuff. When you're building a project that you want to have forward proofed innovation, the best indicator that you can do that is if you can go backwards and deal with brownfield opportunities, right? That means that the architecture is designed to handle variation. And that means that it can handle forward variation or hopes to be able to handle forward variation. If you're dealing with an architecture that says, I'm in this very narrow band of stuff, then it's going to be fragile in the future. Yep. Um, and so core to what I look at when we're designing systems, when we're building interactions, it's like, all right, 
did anything I do break my forward, my backwards compatibility, um, or at least make that path harder? And this is where I'm like, look, newsflash to everybody, patch your BIOS, right? <laughs> the, the, idea, the idea that you have a server that's been running for a year is bad, right? Replace the whole, you know, re-image the whole thing, reflash your BIOS. You cannot, we can't deal with software that's, that's aging in place. Sure, that's, that's subtly different than the idea that I'm gonna leave my Windows 2002 server running forever. That's not the right idea either. The idea is that if I've made it so that I can move things around, then I can keep 2000, you know, I can, I can figure out how to move that forward in time. The reason things get islanded like that is because you didn't plan. Right. Um, not because I'm encouraging you to leave up your Windows 95 uh, ATMs <laughs> forever. <laughs> That's it. So if you think that five years from now is going to look a lot different than it does today, look back five years. And did you think that today's what it would look like? It is not the case. So uh, That's the well, fortune me, cookie for the, for the episode. There you go. Uh, I wish I could light a candle. A hundred amazing episodes. I'm proud to have shared a bunch of them with you, Rob. You got many yourself. Um, so folks, uh, check out Latest Shiny Podcast, uh, subscribe, get some stars on there. Uh, the ratings help everybody to make sure you get some forward look. Uh, check out the Edge Lab. We'll be blogging on it and much more. And uh, we'll see everybody at a lot of events. I know we got to wind down. We all got to get on to the next thing because this is the fun part. Just like the future, not looking much different. Neither does our calendar. Uh, there are more and more meetings and more and more life events that are coming up. <laughs> but it was, as always, a pleasure to share this. Rob, last chance. Uh, where do we find you online, of course? I am Zeical Online. Uh, Rack and Go and Digital Rebar are the, the products. Edge Lab is edgelab.digital. So check us out there. Just that easy. Awesome. With that, sir, happy 100. Thank you for sharing this time with me. And then uh, we'll talk to you all again soon. Thanks, Eric. It was fun. Hey everybody, it's time again. Grab a cup of joe and get your friends. Put on your headphones, put it in.